Hello everyone, I'm Dane Gentry. I hope everyone out there is doing well. Tonight is my first live broadcast, so I'm going to tell my story um, and wait till after that and I'll let some people call in. I've got a co-host that's going to join me in a few minutes, going to help me out, which is great. Um, so, a little bit about me. I was born in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, my mother already had one child, uh, then me, and she, she was a single mother of two. Um, to say the least, life was pretty difficult when I was young. Um, my mother had her own problems, but she ended up getting her stuff together and she actually went back to school, um, got an education and things got better. But when I was 11, I was walking home from school and, uh, they had kept me after for something I'd done, not doing my homework or something, something like that. And, um, uh, I got hit by a truck and, they didn't think I was going to make it, but I did. But I kept having to have these surgeries. And when I was 15, they gave me a narcotic pain pill. And when I took that pain pill, I remember thinking, man, I done found what I was looking for. And um, uh, the rest is history, as I say. For the next couple of years, I uh, would pretty much just take pills when I could get them. And um, when I was 16, I had a doctor who would give me anything I wanted. Well, I think I missed you. I think you tried to call in. I think I missed it um, or something. Somebody did. Um, anyway, so um, this doctor, he would uh, literally, like if it was after hours or whatever, he would bring me samples of pills and stuff from his office um, because at the time, my mother had a really good job and we had really good insurance. So that's what it was all about. The guy was actually wasn't even a real doctor. He's what they call a PAC, which is. It's just like a step like right below a doctor. He can give you certain things, but he can't sign the prescriptions. Um, this guy is still in practice today. He does a pain clinic and a family clinic. I don't know if he's still the same way or doing things like that, but either way. And he was giving me some real strong stuff, too, to be 16 years old. He was giving me this stuff called Stadol Nasal Spray, and it was, it was very strong. And he would give me pain shots. I mean, I could go on and on about that. When I was 17... I met these people who were um, doing what's called boosting. They would like go in stores and shoplift and then they would return it. And so they always needed people to do it. So, um, of course, here I go. I go and do that. But these people were on some real heavy drugs, um, the lauded. Um, back then, it was a street drug you could buy uh, for like 35 bucks a piece. And that's where my addiction really, really kicked off. Um, I got on them. Was on them for a while. Um, when I was 18, the idea of methadone came up. If you don't know what methadone is, it's it's a very strong thing. But you go to a methadone clinic, and it's like to help you uh, get off of. Nowadays, you can go for anything. Back then, you had to be on uh, like IV drugs at that time. But today, you can go get it for just be on pills. Um, so. Um, of course, as a drug addict, you're going to get charges. You're going to get in trouble because I don't care how much money you got and how powerful your parents are or whatever. There's going to be a time when you don't have any money. You're going to do whatever you have to do to get it. And that's what it became. And um, so I went and got on this methadone deal. And I'd been on it for a few months, and all these warrants and stuff come out on me. So I had to go to jail. And um, uh, that was my first episode of detox. Um, 
it was bad, but it really wasn't that bad, I guess, because I was so young or whatever. But it took a long time for me to get off of it. And um, they ended up giving me some probation. So when I got out of jail, my mom and her boyfriend had moved to Texas. And so when I got out of jail, I didn't even think about trying to do the probation. I just immediately took off, got on an airplane, went to Texas. And so I was out there for almost two years, I think. Uh, I met a girl. She got pregnant. And I was actually there when the baby was born. But I got arrested three weeks later. And um, uh, they, um, again, this time here, I'd been, time. hey, Bella, how you doing? Hey, good afternoon, Dean. No worries, I'm here. All right, good deal. Yeah. So um, that time when I got arrested was really the, the first time that I really, really dealt with a detox. Cause I was probably taking, I mean, I, I would take probably 10 tens at a time. So I would take 30 or 40 pills a day. And so I went through the detox and then I went to prison. Um, I was 22 years old and I got out and I was 34 that time. Uh, I stayed sober the whole time I was in prison. I didn't do drugs at all in there. Um, I went six years. I didn't smoke no pot or do anything. I got on a kick of, uh, with the Bible and God, which I'm glad that I did. Uh, I got out. Well, let me say this first. I did a lot of time in solitary confinement and, um, that'll change you. And I got out from solitary confinement. And so when I got out, I wouldn't even go in the store. I couldn't even think about it. Um, my brother had come and got me the night I got out and, um, <laughs> We were going to repo some heavy equipment, and I told him I was thirsty, so we go to a store, and we pull up, and I'm just sitting there. And he's like, I thought you want to go to the store. I said, I'm not going in there. And it was just like I couldn't force myself to go in there. It took about a month for me to even be able to, to go anywhere, but I finally did. And then after that, I think it was probably two weeks later or something, I relapsed again and got right back on drugs, uh, taking pills again. Um, I went and got on methadone again. And I was dating this girl, and she had cooked me something to eat one night. And the next morning, I woke up, and I was sick. I stayed sick for like two weeks. I think she did something to the food. I don't know, because I wasn't doing right. I was cheating on her and stuff like that. But um, I was real sick. I lost a bunch of weight. So um, I stayed out about two years that time, almost. And um, then I went back in again. I did uh, a little over five years that time. Um, my mother had passed away and a bunch of stuff went on. Um, well, I'll tell you the story of that too, I guess. So I'd gotten more trouble. I got more charges and I was in jail and a good friend of mine got into what's called drug court and he kept wanting to talk me into getting into it. And I was like, no, I don't going to get into it, but I did. And, um, it was like a program kind of deal. You, uh, went to treatment and then you like live in like a halfway house. And so me and him were roommates. And uh, on a Thursday, they had put my mom in the hospital. She went to the doctor for a checkup like deal. And the doctor said that she was talking out of her head. And so he had her put in the hospital. The very next day, my my friend said he had been thinking about doing a pill. And I was like, come on, man, I don't know why you even said that. But then my next words were, well, get me one too. And so the next day was Saturday. My mom had gotten worse. They, um, all of a sudden, we're like, 
putting her in an induced coma deal and had all these different things of fluid running through her, like antibiotic stuff. And so we decided that we was going to get the pills or whatever, but he couldn't find any pills. And at this time, I'd never done any heroin in my life. I never had even seen it. I was 30, I think 35. So anyway, the conversation of heroin come up and um, he kept trying to, to find something. He couldn't find any. And he looked at me, he said, bro, I think this may be God trying to say we shouldn't be doing this. And his phone rung. And it was this girl that said, yeah, she could, she could get the heroin. So me, him, and this is the story I'm telling right now. A lot of people don't know the real truth about this. So it's, <laughs> it's going to get out now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so we went and got the heroin. It was me, him, and it was a girl he used to date. He had a kid with her. And, um, we go and get it. And like I said, I never had done it. So they done theirs. And then I was like, I'm going to do way less than y'all do. And I did it. And it still just like almost killed me. Um, couldn't hold my head up so I was like you gotta take me home so he does and um, we had a nine o'clock curfew in this uh, program that we we're in and so it was like 8 30 and he called me and said did I want anything from McDonald's and I was like and I'm still sick but get it I'll eat it later nine o'clock comes and he's not home and I was like it's not like him so I called him and it rung and rung and rung went to voicemail and that's not like him either but the next time I called him back, he went straight to voicemail, and I knew I knew what was going on, and um, he never came home that night, and they found him dead the next day in his car. Wow. At a uh, Mapco gas station on Harding Place in 65 in Nashville. And uh, you would think that that would make me say, man, I'm never going to do that again, but of course it didn't. My mother passed away, and um, the drug court people were like, trying to blame me for him dying. But at this time, no one knew this story. No one even knew that I was with him that day. But they were trying to say that they had it on camera of me getting out of his car, which was a lie. I wasn't there. And so I went to my mother's funeral, and um, I, they, they put me in jail. They didn't let me go to his funeral, but they gave me a furlough for six hours to go to my mother's funeral. But um, I went. And uh, as soon as it's over with, I left. The next day, I was in Louisiana, and the day after that, I was in Arizona. Um, stayed on the run for a few months, and they got me. But while I was in Arizona, I started smoking heroin because it was just, there's so much of it there. You know, you're 45 minutes from the border in Arizona, in, uh, Tucson. So um, there's another time I go to jail, and again, here you are. You're sick on, on the jail floor. You can't even get up. And they're not going to do anything for you. So don't think when you go to jail, they're going to give you some medicine to make you feel better. They're not. They're not going to give you anything. Um, so I, I, they bring me back to Tennessee. And at this time, I got real close to God. I think probably closer than I ever was. And uh, a lot of crazy things went on. I should have got like a whole lot of time, and I didn't. Uh, actually got less time than what I should have. Um which is kind of a crazy deal. But so I go back then and I, I think I did almost six years and I got out and pretty much relapsed almost immediately. But again, I didn't do drugs in prison again. Um, but for whatever reason, I would get out and I couldn't, I couldn't stay away from them. It's almost like I knew how to live in prison, but I didn't know how to live on the street because I'd done so much time. Um, I wasn't like a violent person or anything. I mean, I've done some violent things in there. 
I mean, that's what you have to do. I mean, you're in a world full of criminals. What are you going to do? Um, so it wasn't anything like that. I think it was just like the, almost like a nervous, you know, you're nervous in the free world because it just doesn't seem right to you. They call it institutionalized. Um, and I didn't get any more charges by violated parole because of doing the drugs, but I had a pretty shitty parole officer, really. Uh, I wasn't doing right, but he went above and beyond to kind of violate me kind of deal. And uh, I went back again. And that time I'd done like almost two years and I got out and again, I pretty much relapsed almost immediately again. I didn't do drugs in there. And, um, I got out, like, I've probably been out a week maybe and I relapsed again. Um, but that's when I got introduced to methamphetamines. I never had done them either. Um, and so I started doing, uh, heroin and methamphetamines which was, for me, methamphetamines was a bad deal. It just caused, it didn't really cause paranoia. It just caused um, me to feel like the girl I was with was always cheating on me. That's what it did to me. Instantly, I would do it. And she wasn't doing any of that. She's a good woman. So uh, that drug is just a real nasty drug. And I go back to prison again. That's my fourth time. And uh, I stayed in there almost two years again. So if you add all that up, we're at 21 years and I'm 48. So, and that's not even counting the county time that I've done, the county jail time and all that stuff. So it's probably, you know, about 23 years, probably something like that of my life that I've spent locked away because of drugs. Um, I hear a lot of people say that all oh, drugs made me do it. No, that's not true. You still made the choice to do whatever it is that you do. Uh, that's what I believe. So, um, do I think that I should have spent that much of my life in there. No, I don't. But on the first time I went in there, I was an idiot. So I was, the first time I went in, I'd been in for about a year, and they sent me to an annex, and I actually escaped from it. Um, and so I got two more years, and that's why I did. I had a 12-year sentence, and I did 11 years and nine months on it. So that's, that's pretty bad because you get good time and all this stuff, and, but like I said, I got in a bunch of trouble. I got the escape charge, and then I got a couple of assault charges and all that stuff. So it's really my fault that I did that much time on that. Um, I can't blame anyone but myself. I used to. I used to blame everybody but me. But the reality is yes. it's not It's not your parents. It's not how you were raised or anything. Things because you know right from wrong. I don't care who you are unless you're just mentally incapable of knowing that. Um, and we still make the choices that we do because – I didn't come from, like, yes, my mother had her own demons and stuff, but she was a good person. She was a very good woman. I wasn't raised to be breaking the law. No one else in my family but me um, did. So, you know, it's my choice. I don't know if it was from maybe uh, from uh, the guy I got my mom pregnant, uh, maybe from his side. And I say that because he wasn't ever in my life, but he lived about 30 minutes from me my whole life. Um when I was 40, I was out, and Beth found him. And so I decided, well, we're just going to go over there. And I did. I just <laughs> pulled up in the driveway and walked up and knocked on the door. No one answered. And then this car pulled up in the driveway, and a woman got out. And she was like, can I help you? And I asked if he was in there. And she's like, yeah, you want to talk to him? I said, yeah. And as we're walking up, she says, and who are you? And I said, well, I'm pretty sure dude's my dad. And she said, oh, well, I better take your number and have him call you. 
And I was like, okay. But he did. He called me immediately. And um, so I turned around and go back. And I could have went without ever meeting this guy, really. Um, he was an alcoholic, but he'd been sober since 1985. But you never tried to find me and all this stuff. And he had lied to the woman he was with saying that he didn't know anything about me. But he did because when I was 10, he came to my house and met me and all this stuff. And there's pictures of me with him when I was a baby and all this stuff. So why he, he lied about it, I don't know. I guess maybe he was married to her at the time or something. I really don't know. But when I met him, he really he never even, like, asked me, you know, how was my life. He wanted to talk about my mom's brothers and stuff. And I was just like, man. And so I went to see him that time. And then I went and met him one more time. I think a total of three times. He's passed away now. But um, supposedly he was working a program. If you know anything about the program, you know, dude should have at least tried to find me or whatever. But he didn't. So whatever. But I was probably better off, even though my life was pretty bad as it was. I was probably better off that he wasn't in my life because he had three other children. One of them committed suicide by running into the back of an 18-wheeler on interstate. Another one committed suicide by hanging herself. And then the boy, he's still pretty bad on cocaine today, I think. So, you know, I had a pretty bad life itself. And the girls, that's why they committed suicide was they were on drugs. Um, so um, where was I at? Oh, yeah, I met him, all that. That's over with. So I went back to prison again. And I got out. So when I when I got out, I had like. Bye, Aberrant. Have a good dinner. Aberrant's gonna leave. I'm not even seeing. I'm Thank paying, you for coming. I didn't even pay, I wasn't paying any attention to any of that. Sorry. Yeah, it's okay. Um, I'll help you. I'm here you for. So much. I'm here for that. moral support. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, um, Nick B wants to ask a question. Okay, did go you want to come up? Did you want to come up and ask a question, Nick? We just want to ask in chat. <clears throat> no worries. I know he's driving. Oh, he's driving. Yeah, he wants to ask a question. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to ask a question too. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so I'm listening. I listened to your whole story. And the fourth time you went back to prison, mm -hmm. when did you realize that it was time to stop? I didn't After then. that time. I didn't then. Didn't then. Didn't then. No, I, I didn't at that time. Uh, I got out and um, let's see. I started, I started a business. Um, appliance repair business, and it becomes successful overnight. Um, a lot of stuff went on. I couldn't keep employees and these kind of things, and I relapsed again. But then I got sober again, but then I relapsed again. But this time when I relapsed, I uh, snorted some, it was fentanyl, and I OD'd. And a lot of people don't know this right here either. They're going to know it now. That's okay. And um, I died. Um, the Metro cop went above and beyond to save my life. Uh, thank God that he did. Um, they had to Narcan me five times and they're telling him to stop after two. And he said that he hit me with it the first time, nothing. Second time, nothing. But the third time he got a little bit of movement out of me and the blueness got out of me. You know, you turn blue when you die or whatever. And, um, so he saved my life. Um, I wrote the guy a letter and told him, thank you. So that's when I was done. That's when I said, that's it. I'm done. Um, I didn't want anyone to get that phone call, you know, cause even the life I lived, there are people that love me and I didn't want, I didn't want Beth to get the phone call, really. That was the big right. thing. Yeah. So that, that started it. Um, I, uh, first I tried to do the methadone thing again, though. I went and got on the methadone, but it just wasn't working. I was still 
living the life of an addict. And so I went to treatment. I went to a very good treatment center um, called Recovery Unplugged. It's in Brentwood, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Um, the people from Aerosmith started it. Uh, they started one in Florida, one of the guys that was in the band or something. And then I think Steven Tyler is directly involved in one in Brentwood, I believe. If I'm not mistaken. I may be wrong. But um, anyway, I went there. And I've been to a few different treatment centers. And all of them kind of have people that care there. You know what I mean? But this yes, one, yes. But this one I'm talking about here, I'm not just saying this because these people are my friends and all this. It is just an amazing place. Everyone there cares, from the people who cook your food to the nurses to the staff, the techs. They all just care. So if you need some help, man, give the people a call. And they'll help exactly. you and they'll love you. And so I went, yes. I left, and I relapsed again. And mm-hmm. that was probably one of my worst runs I ever had. I got to where I had a van at the time, and I was living in my van. And um, I went and met Beth, and she immediately just broke down crying. I was like, you got to go back to treatment. And so I called them and went back again. And um, the rest is history, man. I'm still sober today from that time. But um, it was a long ride. It's um, yes, yes, You know, there's yes. so many things I left out, and that's okay. But um, living as a drug addict, it's difficult. Um, you feel like you're on this island by yourself when you're not. There's so many people that go through so much of it. And that's mm-hmm. basically what this is about. So I want people to know is that there are people that help you. And I do have contacts with people. I can get you some help if you need it. Just let me know. Um, mm-hmm. But you got to do so, it. You got to want it. You got to love yourself. That's the main thing. Living as an addict. I think, uh, you know, when we chatted last night, uh, last night a little bit, Dane, you had said that prayer had a, had a big part of oh, your, a doubt. Yeah, of your life. I mean, yeah. through it all, like from the beginning, you never gave up on God, didn't you? No, ever, not ever. What I would do is yeah. I would run from him when I'd get high because I was ashamed, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't pray. I wouldn't do any of these things. But he never gave up on me either. That's the thing. He won't give up on you either. He's just wanting you to come to him. That's it. He's your father. He's your friend. He wants you to talk to him. And he knows your heart. you got to remember that. Um, and what what is, what is the amazing thing about a drug addict is, you know, when you get sober and come to God, it's amazing how fast, man, he works things out in your life. Um, it's like he really has a care for addicts. Mm-hmm. I guess it's because, you know, as an addict, it's difficult, man. It's very, very difficult. Um, because, like I said, you just feel so, you look around everybody else. Like, I got a brother who's very successful, and I would beat myself up over that a lot because I could be too. He comes from the same exact place I did. You know what I'm saying? So, um he could do it, and I used to beat myself up, but I just—I was different, man, and I knew it. But I also would look around at people, not judge them. And it's like I was any bit better, but I just thought it was different. You know, I knew there was something more for me in life, and um, it's God, and that's—that's that's the main—the main point of it all. Is you can work a program, you can go to treatment, you can do everything. In my opinion, if you don't have that higher power, you're not going to stay sober. Hundred percent. Yeah. We have a question in the chat. Okay. Did you want me to read it for you? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, we have a question from Nick. For uh, So I'm just helping Nick, uh, you know, co-host for this show. Welcome, everybody, to the room has joined in. This is Dane's pilot episode. So, so far, so good. All right. Um, all right. So Nick B. has a question. Okay. Why did you keep – okay. Why did you keep relapse the first time was – you? Oh, was you hanging out with the old friends? I'm not too sure what you're asking, Nick. I, I understand what he's saying. He's saying okay. like, Why? Like he's going around the same old crowd because that's what they tell you. People, places, yes. and things. you got to change these people, places, and things. Okay. Um, 
No, not really. What it is is I wasn't working a program or working on myself or anything. So when that thought hits you, um, there you go. And then I would go back to those old friends because they knew where to get drugs. Because everybody I grew up with pretty much was on drugs sometime throughout their life. So I was always able to just make a phone call and go get it. Um, that's what it was. I would make all kinds of excuses, stress or you know, best pissed off at me, so I'm gonna get high. Just whatever, you know. As an addict, you can come up with any kind of excuse or the reason why you're gonna get high. Um, and there you go. Once, once you're sober, you know you're sober. But the second that that chemical hits your body, it's over with. You're not gonna stop it just one time. You're either gonna die, go to jail, or you're gonna get sober. Uh, that's the only options that you have. Well, I think you get a crave, not a craving, you get a light, you get a, a love for the drug or for whatever mm-hmm. it is you're addicted to more than. It's not that you don't love your family or your, you know, the people in your life, but that becomes, uh, I think, the priority. No, would I say yeah, that? That's what. Like that. That's that's what you're focusing on is the actual thing that, your, the drug or the the drinks or whatever. Uh, you're not thinking about anything else. No, you're not. That's what someone no. said to me. A lady said to me yeah. in treatment. She said, "You say you love your wife, you love your kids, you love all this." And she said, "You're an effing liar. You love your drugs." Man, you talk about hitting you in the balls. Excuse me. Um, that thing, but it's true. You know, it's yeah, not it's like true. you said. It's not it's that true. you don't love yeah. them. It's just it has such a gripping hold on you. For an opiate addict, for me, what drove me was the sickness. I didn't want to be sick. And you're going to be. You know, they say after three days of continuous use, you're hooked. Um, mm-hmm. No matter who you are, how old you are, or whatever, and you'll do whatever you got to do to get it because you don't want to feel that way. I think um, from what I read in the last couple of years, I don't know with uh, with the pandemic if it had anything, but I think what I did read and know is that opioids and um, these type of drugs here in Canada have become uh, really out of hand. Uh, you know, when people were on lockdowns and stuff, people, uh, the opioid use went, uh, oh my God, probably 120% higher. Wow. Um, you remember people were, were, were locked down so Mm -hmm. um they were they for some reason got access i don't know how they're getting access to the drugs of like that but um it is it is prevalent here in canada it is um as you said in the states it is but uh opioid use i know for sure uh has gone up and it's still going on up to today it's it 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 is a significant uh challenge uh to get it off the street they do seizures and stuff, you know, they try to seize as much as they can, the police, but it's, it's, uh, I don't know too much about the drug, but it's, it, it has gone on a rise. Um, and it's never going to go away. It's only going to get worse. That's the thing because it's money. And as we know, money rules the world, as they say. Um, I remember when you couldn't hardly find heroin, you know, it was hit and miss on it, but today, mm-hmm. Today, unfortunately, man, this fentanyl stuff is everywhere. It's every freaking where. And people are dying by record numbers every day from it. And a lot of these yes. people that are dying, this is what people need to understand, have never done an opiate. They just smoked a joint and they died because somebody put it in it. Or just a trace amount got transferred from them selling it or whatever it is. It doesn't take much. A granule of sand. Or So think about that. That's enough. If you If you haven't been doing opiates at all, and you, I don't care how much fentanyl at all, if you do it, you're going to die. Uh, just hope that someone's there with Narcan to bring you back. So you don't need to do that. 
all you kids and young people, college people, you need to be careful. Uh, you think you know somebody or whatever, especially girls. You know, these guys out here, man, they're doing anything. They're lacing with that. And you're dead. And your parents get that phone call um, that their parents should never get. So it's not like it used to be when we were young. Things like this just didn't go on. And today it's just, it's everywhere. It's everywhere, yeah. Yeah. I'm just I'm just googling it myself. Uh, so opioids include morphine, heroin, codeine, oxycodone, hydrocodone and fentanyl. Yeah. Uh symptoms can include drowsiness, um euphoria, nausea, vomiting and slowed breathing. Yeah. We also have constipation. You didn't really want to read that one out, but also constipation. That's so, a bad um, one. That's a, that's a yeah. bad one. So just so you know, yeah. that constipation yeah. that you have that's what you have when you get to go through the withdrawals, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. diarrhea that you can't you can't stop. Uh, so think about that: being in jail, doing all that, being good and sick, and not sleeping for ten days or or whatever it is, not eating. Um, that's what it does to you. Another thing, yeah, yeah. another thing people yeah. need to need to know is this: these people are pressing pills. They're they're taking and making their own pills, and it's fentanyl, and they're pressing them. They look just like a real pill. So you think you know somebody? You may be. A, thinking you're buying a Xanax. It's not a Xanax. It's fentanyl that you're buying. You're going to die. You may think you're buying Roxy's 30s. They don't even make them anymore. So if anyone has a Roxy 30, you already know it's fake. Stay away from it. Um, but the main thing you need to do is, especially if you're young, go get help now, man. Don't be me. Don't be 48 years old trying to figure out, hey, man, what am I going to do with my life? And What have I done? Where did all these years go? Because all these years are gone. I'll never get them back and for nothing. Just wasted away. Yes. It's sad, really. You know, it really is. I look, I could be so much further in my life, but, you know, I didn't I didn't want to get help. I, I thought I was this tough guy. And, you know, I don't give a damn how tough you are. That drug's going to take you down. It's going to tear you down. Well, here you are today to tell the story, Dean. I so, am. That's only because of God. You know. it's, 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 I think things in life happen for a reason. And, you know, um, we will have a show tomorrow, uh, tomorrow morning. Uh, we've posted it. Uh, Dane will be the co-host on the show. We'll continue to talk about these things. But uh, what I can say, you know, it takes a lot of courage for you to come up here and talk about these things that are that are really personal to some people. Um, people are ashamed of, of 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 showing their life and being organic, and you have shown that. And so I think. Um, People will be motivated when you speak, as you know, you're going to speak to the youth and so on about, especially the youth. I think you were saying you want to focus on the youth about, hey, this is what can happen to you if you make these choices, right? That's exactly right. Um, And it gets even deeper. It gets even rawer than that. You know, I left a lot of stuff out. But as the time goes on and I do more of these episodes, you know, we'll get deeper into it. Um, Main thing is I'm here for people to talk to, man. I don't care what, it don't have to be addiction. It can be whatever you got going on. There's always a better way, mental health, mm-hmm. you know, to reach out. Just please reach out to someone because there are people who care. And there's a lot of them. Um, we don't think that, it. though. We don't think that when we're no. living that life, we think that we're just worthless. You know, I'm just a nobody. I can remember looking at myself in the mirror going, I just hate you. I hate you. I hate what you do. Mm-hmm. And so, but today I love me. And that's a good thing. And anybody wants to call up, feel free to call up and, you know, want to share or want to ask any questions. No worries. I just also, you know, I'm, I'll have more questions for Dane. I mean, how much minutes are we into the show? I can't see. Uh, 32. 
you see how fast it goes, right? Yeah, so it by fast. goes. Uh, we're yeah. 32 minutes already into the show, which is super cool. Um, what do you think, Dane, about people dealing with life right now? I mean, it's difficult. People are dealing with the stresses of life and jobs, or being a new parent, and or yeah. being a single parent. It's difficult. What do they? What can you do to cope? Like, I mean, people are looking for things to cope. My which I suggest maybe uh, listening to good, bo- reading good books or listening to good podcasters yes. and keeping your mind busy. Anything, and, motiv- uh, anything positive, like anything positive, positive right? and motivation, yes. I'm big on motivational yes. speakers and stuff like that. Um, Steve Harvey's a great one. Um, I mm-hmm. like him. Joe Rogan, too. Uh, he's, Joe Rogan, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. I like him because he's, he's, he's raw. He's going to tell you like it is. And that's, what we, and that's what you need to hear. Like for me, I needed someone who wouldn't back down for me. Because if you did, I'm going to push and push and push and push. So I needed someone who's going to stand up to me and say, no, it's going to be this way. That's somebody like Joe Rogan. You know what I mean? He's, he's not, you're not going to push him back. And I was just very hard-headed and stubborn and thought I was a tough guy and all these things. And in reality, I was nothing but a little scared little boy. That's what I was running from. Um, and that's, that's what you do. But faith, man, I think faith is huge. I'm not saying you got to go to church, but have a relationship with God. Holy Spirit, and um, that that is what drives me every day. Um, yes. That's what I lean on. Um, anytime I have anything going on, I immediately go to prayer, and it works. It helps. God's real, and if you ask Him, He'll help you. Is He going to let you win the lottery? Probably not, but you know He'll get you through whatever that you're going through. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and sometimes you have to come. I think our life is like a circle in my head. Sometimes your life has to come full circle, and sometimes a circle can get broken, but you can always mend it. And yes. Not to be too hard on yourself because you're going to screw up. Yeah. Like, um, you know what I mean? You've like, told us your story, but I destroyed. Just, I destroyed yeah. everything. It didn't yeah. matter, you know, family, relationships, whatever. I I just destroyed everything. It wasn't because I was out there cheating on stuff. I'm just out there ripping and running, doing the the things that drug addicts do. So family and all that goes away. And it's, again, it's no one's fault but yours. But if you get sober, a lot of that stuff will come back. Maybe not all of it, but that's okay, man. You know what I mean? It's okay. It's, the past is what it is. Just keep striving forward and keep putting the next foot forward each day. Get up. Picture boards are great. Like whatever you want, do that. Journaling is great. Write it down. Look at it. Whatever it is you want to do, look at it every day and tell yourself, I'm going to have this. I'm going to do this. And you will. I agree. Yes. There's so many things. Rock King said he loves him some Jesus. I love me some Jesus too, my friend. <laughs> That's me funny, too, man. buddy. That's yes. what it's all about, man. You Rock know. King. Unfortunately, today a lot of people yeah. don't want to hear that. Here's what I can tell you. <laughs> I have been in the darkest of darkest places there is. The devil is definitely real, without a doubt. So sure. we know he's real. God has to be real. So lean on him, talk to him. Just give it a shot. Just try it. What's it going to hurt? You know, if if you're wrong. What happens? You know what I mean? If I'm wrong, then so be it. I lived a good life following Jesus. But he's real, and he wants to help you. That's what he wants. He's your father, so he wants you to lean on him. That's what he's there for. He says, I'll never put you through anything you can't go through without him. So remember that. Yes, of course. 
Without, it's really I don't know. To believe, believe in something. You gotta believe. Yeah, you gotta something. believe in something. I mean, in the NA books and stuff, the university people believe in a potato, believe in a rock, and all kind of stuff. They start out at, but it always eventually gets to God, um, for whatever reason. I guess it's just because it's something you want people to believe in something they can't see, which is faith. It all begins with faith. That's the whole beginning of it all. It all starts with faith because you're believing in something you can't see. That faith is amazing, man. You'd be amazed at what happens in your life if you do it. Quickly, it happens very, very fast. It's very easy to lose faith in your path in life, as well. Uh, Rock King, I, I am yep. too, man. Uh, yeah. There's no denying that. I know that. You know, I should have been gone many, many. I should have been gone when I was 11, <laughs> um, and I didn't. You know, I remember. I remember. I remember everybody coming there to see me. I thought everybody's coming there to, to tell me hi, but they were coming there to tell me bye. I didn't know it, but, uh, but I made it. Uh, yeah. It's all because of him, man. He had a he had a different plan for me. And I feel like today I've got it together, and I believe I'm on the track of what he wants me to do. It has to be about him. You know, that's what we can't lose, lose, lose focus on. I'm only sober because of him. It's not me. It's not me doing it. It's God. Yes. <clears throat> what I was saying is it's, it's sometimes people lose their faith along this, this life, this thing we call life. They do. And they another, do. Here's something and then you true. go, as Rock is saying, into a dark place. Yep. Uh, it's scary, but it, it it does happen. It does. It is a scary thing when you when you get to that point. Um, my mother told me when I got out that first time she she had gotten really sick while I was gone, and I didn't know it. No one told me about it because they didn't want me to worry or whatever. But but she told me the second time she saw me after I got out, she told me she didn't like what she saw in my eyes, um, and that's because I, I had been living that dark life for the twelve years, you know. You got two choices kind of in prison. It's kind of sad. You got to be a man or a mouse. And I've never been a mouse, so you have to be a man. And um, it's difficult. It's not a place for people to go. You do not want to go there, I promise you. Um, uh-uh. Uh-uh. It's, uh, it's just a very evil place, you know what I mean? It is, yeah, it is. But if you, if you, stay, on, here's, if you stay on drugs, if you're on drugs and you get on drugs, odds are you're going to go. You're going to die. You know, jails, institutions, or death. That's pretty much it. I think everything in life, Dane, if not taken in moderation, will get up to you at some point. No doubt. You know, people say, oh, don't worry. You know, I, I come from good genetics. Uh, I have a good background. Uh, I don't believe in that. I think it will get to you eventually. Yeah, you don't if have you, to be. You don't have to be an yeah. addict to get hooked on drugs. Exactly, you know, right? You don't. So, I mean – whether you do drugs or alcohol or whatever it is, but your story is a drug story. Um, you th- People might think, oh, I'll just take maybe a couple, you know, yep. lines of Coke or copious lines of Coke, and I'll be fine the next day. But I can control it. What do you think about that? Do you think they can? Like, you know, I've just seen do it, as a, do it like a hobby, you know, I don't, like a, I don't once think, a week. I think um, – <laughs> Like pain pills, in my opinion, mm-hmm. I think they're going to eventually get you. Um, as far as like, you know, people that drink on the weekends, a lot of people that do that. People get off in the evening and, and smoke a joint and, and drink a beer. You know, I don't do that. But if you do it and it's, you know, you're grown and you've been doing it, my hat's off to you. And there's people they call functioning alcoholics. I know a bunch of them. But they're still alcoholics and you're killing yourself. And you're going to end up with cirrhosis of the liver or whatever. And that is a horrible death. You don't don't want to go through that. Um, so 
it's best not to dabble in it. You keep sticking your toe in the water, eventually you're going to swim, as they say. And um, so when it comes to the opiate thing, the thing with the opiates is why it gets everybody is because your body gets physically addicted to it. A lot of these other drugs are just a mental thing, like cocaine, methamphetamines. There's no physical uh, like withdrawals from it. It's just your mind, but it gets a hold of your mind. It's the same thing. So continuous use, you're going to get addicted to it eventually. And then even if not, just think about what it's doing to your body. You're going to die at early age or, or would have heart attack or, or something. It's just not, it's just best to stay away from anything and everything all the way around, in my opinion. <clears throat> I do know people that, um, you know, just drink occasionally and maybe on the weekends, you know, one night and, you know, that's okay. You can do that. I can't. If I drink one beer, I'm going to be alcoholic. Actually, I quit taking pills when I was about 20 for a little while and um, I started drinking and immediately I became an alcoholic. For me, it's anything. It doesn't matter. We were talking about that last night. Coffee, food, <laughs> nicotine, whatever it was, I go zero to 100. I don't know how to stop. It's just because I have that. Um, the time of addiction, we don't care about our body or mind. No, we do not. You're actually right. Um, I'm actually scared to start drinking again. Uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't. That's the thing. That, that, that's something I didn't ever understand was that. Like, when I had the bout with the alcohol, I knew not to do it. And I didn't. I, I don't drink. You know what I mean? But the opiate thing is the one thing that would always get me every time. Really, it would start like this, though. I would smoke a joint first. And then I'd be right back on pills or heroin. So I don't smoke pot either. I don't do any of it. Yeah, uh, he says he's actually scared to start drinking again. I understand that. Uh, that's a good thing, though, right? If you're scared, you're not going to do it. Somebody said, I only cared about the buzz. Me too, my friend. And it was because it made me forget about all the shit I was doing. That's what we're doing. We're running from what, what we're doing or whatever it is. People have their own demons, whatever you're running from. But a lot of addicts come to find out when you work the program, work the steps, you find out all kinds of stuff about yourself. Right. You're broke even faster. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. Me too. It wouldn't matter if I had a million dollars. I'd be broke in six weeks. Because I go all out. I don't know how to. Nothing in moderation. There's never enough. That's why it's called a drug. Yeah. Drug yeah, right? right. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's called a drug. I feel sorry for young people today. I really do, just because it's so readily available. Um, and I, I know it, if it was today and back when I was 14 or 13 or 14, I already know what I would have been doing. I'd have been strung out on fentanyl, more than likely. Did it because I was addicted. I was addicted. You had it, Dean. You're 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 doing well. Look, you got it all now. See? You said no. I did it because I was addicted. I'm, I'm lost. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, he did it because he was addicted. Yeah, Nick was telling us that's Nick from okay, last that's night. Nick. Okay, yeah. That's yeah, right. I, we need to talk with Nick B. Yeah, that's he quit. Name, he so. quit cold turkey, didn't he? Is that right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yes. I remember now. I don't know that I know anyone else. That has done that. I'm, I know there's other people, but I don't think I personally know anyone who just up and said, that's it. I'm just not going to do this anymore. And 
man, he's strong. I'll say this, he's a strong-willed man. He has to be. Because, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I couldn't do it. I tried every way it was. I tried everything you could possibly think of, Suboxone, uh, Methadone, and just none of that worked for me. So my hat's off yes. to you, my friend. You, you're a strong yeah. man. Yeah. So I read, I oh, he did it over everybody. a bet. He said he did it over a bet. Yeah, it was over a bet. But I respect everybody's being open. I'd like people to respect each other that are sharing their stories. And, you know, it takes a lot. Um, these are personal stories. So I respect everybody, like, who are coming in and sharing. It's uh, it's good. Yeah, it is. It's it's. You know, it's kind of raw. I'm just like open. I'm not going to lie to you about anything. So anything you might ask me, I'm going to tell. And like I said, there's a lot mm-hmm. of people who are, who are going to hear this are going to go, ah, oh, uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> That's why. Yeah. I remember now. Yeah. yeah. It will trigger. It could trigger, which is well, only see, normal that it'll it'll trigger some thing. memories, right? Mm-hmm. Well, here's the thing about that. I'm going to get some flack on this, but that's okay. I don't believe in triggers, man, because anything can be a trigger. I can make anything I want in the world to be a trigger. Um, and so I believe in it, but I don't. You get what I'm saying? Like, I think that we use that as an excuse a lot. Um, not saying that, you know, something isn't, couldn't take somebody back to things. But me personally, now a backpack could be my trigger. Oh, that backpack's the wrong color. I'm going to get high. Um, you know, so I'm sure people yeah. do have triggers and, and they do. You know, people had childhood traumas and stuff like that. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. But, um, as far from myself, I just feel like. Uh, the trigger thing is, you know, we overuse that, I guess, what I could say. I know there's going to be people who are going to say, oh, man, you're wrong. I got triggers. And maybe you do. I'm not saying that you don't. I'm just talking about me personally. Yes. I used all kinds of stuff as a trigger. Uh, my brother didn't text me back. I'm going to get high. Or, you know, mm-hmm, anything. Mm-hmm. Um, because you want to. It's just, It's just that demon. You know, it's evilness. It's just all it is, and it's the devil. And as long as you're getting high, he's got you. And so, and the thing to remember is, when you start to get sober, and you start getting closer to God, the devil's gonna work extra hard to get you. So remember that. Um, just put that full armor on, though, and you'll be okay. <clears throat> what kind of what? When you said you you lost it over a bet, um, what someone bet you that you couldn't quit drinking? I mean, I, if someone would have bet me, I would have lost the bet. There would have never been. I know so many people too, that tried everything. They tried just like me, tried so many things. But nowadays, a lot of people are getting on Suboxone. Um, mm-hmm. And it works. Um, it works for them. There's a lot of people it works well, well for. Some it doesn't. Um, yes. Because it is still an opiate. You're still putting an opiate in your body. You're putting two things in your body. You're putting an opiate and a blocker at the same time. The blocker is designed to, if you, so if you still want to do drugs, you wouldn't feel it, basically. Um, but the suboxone, the buprenorphine, is the drug that's in it. And so, in my opinion, it still triggers that that addict mentality in your brain, um, the receptors there that it binds to. That's my opinion. Um, I tried it. Um, it didn't work for me. Because um, I'd, I'd always want to get high, and I think it's just because those receptors were being triggered by the buprenorphine. You don't really feel the over the Broncos Super Bowl against Green Bay. Wow. That's good. What? 
What's the Broncos Super Bowl? I guess that's the bet. The Bron- Are you a Broncos fan? I am. Uh, I have no idea. So, um, <laughs> It says over the Broncos Super Bowl again. Yeah, good deal. Maybe next year we'll get Oh, that was the bet. That was the yeah. bet he's talking about. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see. Yeah. I see. I thought you were talking about Super Bowl coming up. I was like, Nick, what are you talking <laughs> no, about? No, I don't think we're going to make it. <laughs> no, 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 no. Not this no. year. Yeah. Uh, well, that's awesome, man. Dean, Nick, it really is. It is awesome. Dean, I'm going to have to drop down, but um, everybody stay tuned. Tomorrow we'll be. Ba- I'll be back to, to have – an opportunity to talk with Dane tomorrow. Um, I just have to drop down because I, I do have a few things to do, but I was happy to help. And I think you're doing great. You've killed it. You've rocked it so far. Thank you. Your engagement, it. everything is great. So I'll just drop down, but I will come back and listen and see if you're still on. All right. I, I I'll really probably hang out. I'll, I'll probably hang out yes. in about 15 more minutes to see how it goes, and we'll go from there. Thank you so much. No problem. Of course. Okay. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Nick. I appreciate that, buddy. You know, the main thing is that I want people to understand is that there are a lot of people who will help you and people that work these programs, when they tell you a newcomer is most important, they mean that. And they're going to, they're going to allow you to come in and open arms, man. They're going to love you and you'll meet people. They'll give you all the phone numbers in the world you want and get you a sponsor. Unless you're like Nick. And if you, if you can quit cold turkey and do it, then Hey, do it. I couldn't, I wasn't strong enough myself. Um, but if you can, okay. But if not, and just reach out, because I know you want to. Is that the whole time I was getting high, I was, I was um, wanting to. It says we sent you an invite. Did someone try to call in? Hold on a second. Uh, okay, there we go. I'm trying to let you in. I guess I'm not doing something right there, Nick, my friend. Let me see here. Invite. There we go. Okay, so reach out. No matter what it is you got going on, like I said, I, I'm all about mental health as well. Um, hey, Nick, what's going on, buddy? Can you hear me? I can. I can now. Good, good, good. How you doing today, my friend? Well, we're good. I would have joined earlier, but I wanted to come when Bella was up there, but I wasn't able to get up there that soon. That's okay. No, oh, man, you're doing a great show. Great appreciate show. it, man. I appreciate her helping me out. I had a guy that um, – was going to come on and uh, he kind of fizzled out on me. I don't know what he's got going on. I'm kind of worried about him a little bit. That's going to happen. Yeah, he's a he's a he's a younger kid and he's been sober for about 60 days, I think, something like that. So uh, usually, what happens is when in this world, when someone stops communicating with you, it usually means a relapse. You know what I mean? Um, well, yeah. I hope not for him. You know, the but, thing is, it's easy to relapse. It like is. You said earlier. It's very you know, easy. It's, it's just a thought. You have that thought. Especially when you're coming out of the system like you did. Man. Because you don't have no other support. Mm-mm. No, you a know. A lot of people don't. I don't know how you were. but I didn't either. But And it's only because I didn't reach out. You know what I mean? Again, you know, I come out of thinking, I just survived 12 years in prison. I'd do any damn thing I want to do. Idiot. Yeah. Stupid thinking. But, you know, that's what the system does to you. Again, it's a very dark place, man. You're going to become a very cold person. Um, I remember... I was in solitary confinement, and they came. Uh, uh, the the chaplain came to my door, and I have like a flap in the door, you know, like where they give you your tray and stuff. And he opened right. it and told me that my grandmother passed away. And I just looked at him, told him to shut my flap, get off my door, because I was just so cold at this time, you know. Never shed a tear, and this was a woman who I loved dearly, you know. And uh, yeah. it's sad, you know, the things that 
and you have to learn how to live again. That's the thing you need to understand and realize, man. When you get out of that place after that time, you're not going to even understand how to live. Um, you have to learn how to do it again. And that's for everybody, no matter what crime. Yeah, no matter. Yeah, no matter what you do, yeah. And even if you didn't go to jail, I think you had to learn how to relive, because I did Yeah. when I quit drinking. Yeah, even then, yeah, yeah. Because you know, lived. I wasn't even in jail, but I had to switch my route home. I had to switch the way to work. And, you know, because if I took the same way home, I would have went by the bar. And I would have said, oh, well, Joe's there. And now I'm going to stop and see Joe. Yeah. So, yeah, that's. So I had to change my whole way of living. What do they call it? Stop standing and sitting. I think it is. You'll stop first. Then you'll stand around a little while. Then you'll finally sit back down. Um, yep. So you do have to I change those, those people, places, and things, man. Because if you don't, you can't go back. You know, as bad as you may want, you, your best, 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 best friend may be an addict, but you have to you have to cut ties, man. You do. Um, yep. But at the same time, you still have to do whatever because you can get drugs anywhere. That's the thing. Um, well, that's just that's what's bad, and yes. especially alcohol. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Every other corner has a liquor store or a grocery store that sells it or whatever. Yeah, it's um, it's everywhere, like you but said. Here in Colorado, you can get you know the marijuana or the shrooms everywhere. So that's crazy it's, that uh, they're doing the shroom deal like that. I didn't know that. Um, yeah, yeah, that passed was it last year or year and a half ago when it passed. What age you had to be? Twenty one or eighteen? I think you have to be twenty one. Twenty one, yeah. But see, that's even right. A visitor like from out of state, you're allowed to buy it here. So, like, let's say you live in Mississippi, you can come from Mississippi to Colorado, and you're allowed to buy a, a half a gram a day. Wow. So, that's so, why I was I saw a show where the cops were, like, pulling so many people over leaving Colorado because of that, I think. Um, well, they, they, yeah, they had a couple shows, right, especially right after we passed it, because people would come into the state, buy it, and try and transport it out, and. That they don't allow. Yeah, it's it's going to be legal in every state for long, I'm sure. Um, well, they're going to have to make a, a federal thing because there are too many states that are now doing it. I think there's, what, 17, 18? And if I'm not mistaken, uh, quote me. if I'm not mistaken, isn't it right that even though the states have legalized it, the feds can still come in there and charge you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's still a federal law. Right. So, like, like in the business business that I'm in, I cannot do it even though I live in a, a state that allows it because I've got a federal license. Wow. Okay. And then, you know, on the form that you fill out to buy that item, the very first question I think it is is, uh, do you use – any illegal drugs or anything like that? I had a, uh, I was going to jail, of course. I've done that so many times, but I was in the back of a cop car, and this was in like, let's say 2019 or 18, 18 probably. And um, the cop said he wished they'd hurry up and legalize it in Tennessee so he could smoke it. And I thought to myself, I thought, I bet there's going to be something that's going to stop that. I don't think they would let you do that. But who knows? Maybe. I don't know. So I just Googled it. Cannabis is legal in 38 of 50 states for medical use. 
Wow. 24 states have it for recreational use. 24? So what, another 38 have it for medical use. 24 have it for recreational. So over half the country, you can smoke it legally just, you know, every day. Yeah. And, you know, there's people that there's people that do smoke, man. They're successful and everything. So, you know, that's to each his own. Just I can't do it. Um, but I don't have a desire to do it anyway. I kind of lost my desire to smoke pot, which is good. That's God, oh, that's too. Like you, know. I, you know, I could care less about alcohol. That's, a, I man, even, that's amazing. I, I want everybody to really hear that story because you don't hear that a lot, man, at all. Um, you know, there's well, not what happened to... is I made a bet, and I'll tell you again tomorrow because Bella wanted to, to do it on her show in the morning, but I made a bet. I was at the bar at Super Bowl Sunday when it was Denver Broncos against Green Bay Packer. You remember that, John? Yeah, oh, White? yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it was Brett Favre. Yep. Uh, I can't remember the year. Was it 98? 98, 99, yeah. You're right. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, you know, a friend at the bar at the time said, hey, I'll make you a bet. Who do you think's going to win? I said, well, I didn't think Denver Broncos had a chance in in hell. So I said, I, I think Green Bay's going to win. Well, he said, okay, if Denver wins, you have to quit drinking for one week. <laughs> but if Green Bay wins he would buy my drinks for one week. And I thought, well, shit, man, this is free drinks for a week, you know. <laughs> but we know who won. Denver won. Yeah, they won two in a row. So I, I thought to myself, well, okay, this I can do this a week away from the bars. Because I used to play pool. I used to play darts just so I could go to the bar every night. Right. You know, I always had the excuse. But uh, – so, like I said earlier, I, I switched my way home. I had to switch my everything. And by the end of the week, I just never went back. I didn't even care. You know, That's awesome. So I seen the guy about, I don't know, two or three years later. And you know what? I gave him the biggest hug in my – even though we weren't, like, best friends, he probably saved my life, you know. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, That's, I mean it's, uh, it's amazing, you know. Um, and I know other people, man, who get off work and, and drink beer and, you know, whether it's right or wrong, they do it. It don't take over their life. They still go to work. But but what if, you know what I mean? You keep doing it. Oh, man. I got what up if? every morning, went to work, and right after work, went to the bar, closed it, went home, went to bed, and then did it again the next day, you know. Yeah. It's, uh, I remember. I, it, it, go ahead. Go ahead. I, uh, no, it does. It controls your life. It does. Mm-hmm. And it, alcohol got me very fast, too. And I, I got, I told you this last night. Um, I got to where I'd have to wake up in the mornings and take a, sh- a couple of shots of tequila to go to work. My hands and stuff were oh, shaking yeah. so bad, and I couldn't even do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then I went right back to pills right after that, and I went to prison or whatever. But yeah, anything. And I know that today, and that's a good thing, is that I know these things, you know. So you know. just out of curiosity, you don't have to say. So each time you went to prison, was it because of drugs or alcohol, or was it because of something that you did while you were on the drugs? Uh, it was something I did while I was on drugs. Well, I got a bunch of charges when I was 18. Um, then I did that time, and then I got out and got on drugs, and it was because of things I was doing to support my drug habit. Um, okay, yeah. 
the second time it was, it was right. I'll say what it was. The second time it was forgery. Um, I had, a, but I had a bunch of them. Uh, a guy was making checks. I wasn't making them. I was just printing them really. But um, so that's what it was. I had a uh, 275 counts of forgery. Um, yeah, yeah. And the, what helped me there was I was talking about drug court earlier. This drug court had a lot of pool and. Davidson County had a hold on me and it was just showing one charge. And so I went up, when I went up there, I was indicted on all the rest of them. But because I was in Williamson County's drug court, um, instead of getting 34 years, I only got 12 years. So, but again, that was a guy that played again. Um, because I should have still ended up with like 30 years because there was these enhancements factors and all these things. But uh, by the grace of God, I still only ended up with another 12 year sentence. So. Oh, good, good. But I did. No, almost, I think you got something good going here. I don't know. I do too. What I, your plans are? I mean, I don't know if you're planning on bringing in a Miss Dixie. Miss Miss Dixie. Hey, Miss Dixie, uh, how you doing? Yeah, I don't know if you're planning on more of a, a single show or bringing in guests every week. But no, it's a good one. I'd like to have a guest. I think uh, that's important. That's a big part of it. And that's anybody, you know. Anybody who wants to talk, if you don't want to talk on here, you know, and you want to talk to me, just let me know, and we'll figure out a way to communicate. As long as you know, I know you need help, want to help, I want to help you. Uh, there is a better way, and it and does get better. Discord man. and all the social, right? Yeah, yeah, Discord will be fine. Um, but there's a better way, and there's a better life, and because the life you're living at, attic, man, you're going nowhere fast, and um, you're going to eventually catch up with you. Like I said, I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how powerful you are, your parents are, or, or whatever. It's going to finally catch up with you. And, uh, nowadays, man, I mean, you're, you're playing Russian roulette. It doesn't matter what drug you're getting. It's just a matter of, well, is this going to kill me or not? And odds are it is. Well, no, I could probably say. It don't matter. Some people with more money do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, there's never enough. That's another thing, you know. Your mind gets so focused on it that that's all that matters to you. Yeah, you care and things like that, and you love the people that you love, but the drug matters more. Um, yeah, they become second or third. Yeah, without a doubt. And that causes anger. You know, these people are very, very angry. And, you know, I can't promise you that every relationship that you have during, during your addiction is going to be okay because they're probably not. Because uh, people are angry, they're mad, um, and when you get sober, you, you got to remember. So if you go to if you go to treatment, if you go to treatment, you're working on yourself. Those people at home are not getting this treatment, so they still are dealing with the same things, and immediately they're going to want to deal with them. But you're not strong enough, and so then again, they feel like they're being put on the back page again. You see what I'm saying? And so it's difficult. It's very very difficult. But the good news is you can't stop. There is help. Um, there's a lot of, I mean, there's treatment centers everywhere. But, you know, treatment centers just, you know, get you detox. They'll do it medically, you know, and help you. But that's another thing. See, like with pills or real heroin, you could, like the next day, like tomorrow, you could take Suboxone. And that what that does is it keeps you from having to go through the sickness. But now this fentanyl thing, you can't do that because it sticks to the receptors in your brain so long. So 
what happens is if you take the Suboxone too soon, you do all of this week-long withdrawal in a matter of hours. So you are sicker than it's called precipitated withdrawal, and it is bad. You do not want any part of that. So remember that if you are going to go into treatment, you know, wait till you're about five days in before you take the Suboxone because you're going to really wish you wouldn't have done it. I did it twice. I'm very smart, so I put myself in a precip twice. <laughs> um, it's horrible. It's like this, the instant it touches your tongue, you're throwing up and diarrhea, and you can't stop it, and it's just bad. You don't want to go through that shit in jail, man. You don't want to go through detox in jail. That's when I've went through so many of them. 13 days, no sleep in jail. So, I mean, that's some long, that's a long 13 days. So when you say in jail like that, I mean, you were doing it in jail too? No, uh, I, I was, I mean, it's in there. Uh, well, not nowadays in county jails, it's not so much, but in prison, I mean, there's all the drugs you want. What I'm saying is like you're strung out on dope and you get arrested. And for me, I always had a pro violation. So if a pro violation, no, there's no bond, so you can't get out. So you're going to withdraw, and you're going to do it in jail, and there's no help for you. They'll give you ibuprofen. Um, now, if you're an alcoholic, they'll give you phenobarbital, I think it's called, or something like that, because uh, it's so dangerous. You know, it's very, very dangerous detoxing off alcohol. Um, you're one of the lucky ones, man. I don't know how you did it, but you did. Well, like I said, I I did some changes right then and there, but I did not. I'll tell you the truth. I did not expect to quit. I didn't want to quit right. at the time. Right. I was still, you know, I just thought, okay, I lost a bet. I'll, you know, not drink for a week. But, of course, it turned into, uh, you know, now. But, uh, I mean, it was, but I had support from my family, too. So. Thank you, Miss Dixie, for liking the show. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, it's a. Uh... I would have lost the bet. I would have lost the bet. I treated them wrong. Yeah. (laughs) You would have been uh, buying for the week, huh? Yeah. It would have been, yeah. I would have been buying, and and I just couldn't imagine. I mean, I remember my brother saying to me, you know, after I'd done all that time, the first time, and I got right back on drugs or whatever, but I didn't think anyone knowed, you know, but you sit around and nodded out all the time. People know, and I was nodded out, and he kicked my chair. I kind of came to, and he said, what's wrong with you, man? How are you going to do all that time? And I hear you are doing the same thing again. And I was just like, ah, whatever. You know what I mean? And he's right. I mean, how could you do that and go right back? That just tells you how strong it is, man, how strong the addiction is. Oh, yeah, it is. Very it's, strong. Um, it's very I sad. I never got into the harder stuff. I'm glad you didn't either, man. Um, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy because it, it's just difficult. Um you know, I think the thing that addicts don't get is love. You do, like, in, in certain treatment centers, stuff like that. But as far as everyday life, you don't get a lot of love. It's because you done pissed everybody off, man. You know what I mean? <laughs> no one's going to, because you're. Your own money and everything. Yeah, don't nobody want you around. You know what I mean? Who 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 wants you around, man? Because it's because you're going to steal from them, steal their money or whatever, you know, because this drug is, is calling you out so hard. So, um that's the reality. You can get pissed off that person all you want, but you don't have a right to because they're right. You know what I mean? I get it. I understand completely. Uh, I don't want. I don't. I wouldn't want them around me either. Um. Yeah. I mean, it's just a nasty, dirty life. Just. You know what always made me wonder 
and maybe, I don't know what you would actually call them, but the people that do drink, you know, I know people that do drugs and, and drink every day, but they, they function real good. Like mm-hmm. you kind of mentioned earlier. Yep. I mean, I don't know how they stop at a certain point. That's where I always had a problem. You know, I'd start out with a beer. Next thing you know, you know, 10 beers later and a couple shots, you know, yeah. I always wondered how someone could stop at three beers and know, okay, I'm done. I'm good. You don't want to, I never could do that. Me either. I, I don't either. Night. I know people do the same thing and I've wondered it too. And I, the only thing I know is that they just don't have that addict gene. And, um, I believe that that's what it's all about. It's about that gene. If you have it or not, um, some people don't believe that. Some people think it's just whatever, but um, that's what it's all about. I mean, that's the only thing that makes any sense to me. Um, you know, just because, all right, like for you, just because you drank every day or whatever it was, yeah, you were an alcoholic, but that still don't mean you had that gene. So maybe you, maybe that's why you could stop. I don't know. I'm not a doctor by no means, but um, it's a disease, man. My problem was I couldn't stop at one or two. Right. So you. And that, I mean, you have all the signs of an alcoholic and having the, the gene there, but the fact that you were still strong enough, strong-willed enough to stop, hats off to you, man. There's so many people that's going to hear this and go, man, I wish I could have done that. <laughs> well, I think nowadays, because uh, I'll be honest, I can have a beer now, but my problem is I don't even finish it. I, you know, like on a hot summer day out, you know, out in the yard, mm-hmm. I'll... I'll drink a, open a beer, and I don't even finish it. I, that's how much I, I don't even like the taste no more. Wow, that's that's when amazing. When I go to a restaurant, you know, yeah, I used to, you know, drink the rum and coke or whatever. I I can't even, can't even stand the, the taste anymore. So I don't even, you know, I'll I'll go to a bar with some friends. I'll have a coke, you know, and I don't care if they laugh at me or not. I just okay, I'm gonna have a coke. But, uh, yeah, I remember. I know, I know people that, like you said, they go they go to work, but the second they get off, they drink until they go to bed. And then on the weekends when they're off, they wake up in the morning and they drink all day until they pass out and do it on Sunday too. But it doesn't like completely take over their life, like mine, like it does for me. Now, if I do, See, I used to even on my day off, I went and drink. Yeah, and they call that functioning. They call it a functioning alcoholic. That's what they call it. Now, see, my problem is I couldn't drink at home. I always went to the bar. You know. You're right, uh, Miss Dixie. Um, it is. It is a. It's a disease. I believe. I personally believe it is a disease or a gene, as you want to call it. Um, because in my case, like I said, you know, my mother had it, my dad had it. So I can't believe I just called that man my dad, but I did. Um, they both had it, so it's all around me. But they say it skips, like skips generations and different things, because. Me and my brother, he doesn't have it. You get what I'm saying? He, he's right. fine. He's okay. Um, but me, you know, when I was young, that's all I saw I, was people drinking and smoking pot. And so I thought it was cool. And what I think, I said last night I was 11, but I think I was nine when I smoked the joint. I was with an older dude, and he was, I can remember he kept making me cough, and he was trying to put his hand over my mouth and stuff and hold it in. And uh, But at the age of 11, I was already drinking, smoking weed, and not 
I would stay gone. I would I would leave from my house at 11 years old and stay gone for a couple of days, not tell my mom where I was at, you know, all kind of stuff. I don't know if I was attention seeking or or what it was, but you know, I was a mean little kid. So just out of curiosity, do you blame your parents in any way for letting that happen, or no? No, because I was so strong-willed and hard-headed. It really probably wasn't nothing they could really do, man. You know what I mean? Um, I was going to do what I wanted to do. Uh, I don't know why, but then my mom. I never drank when I was young. I didn't start till I was 18, and that's when they legalized it in Colorado. You you could drink at 18 back then. Yeah. And then then we just went to the bar, and it never stopped. But yeah, I just wondering. Yeah, not really. I think I know a lot um, of people do blame their way they were grown up or, or raised. Because, like I said, look at my brother. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's fine. Right. He He's very it. successful. Yeah. Um, has been for a long, long time. And He's done very well for himself. Um, like I said last night, he's my hero, man. I'm proud of him. He, he's doing it. He's still doing it today, and he's a very good father, husband, all these things. And so, we both were raised the same way. You know what I mean? Like I had very good grandparents. My grandparents were amazing. My grandfather was awesome. My grandmother was too. And I just wish I would have spent more time with him. You know what I mean? Things may have been a little bit different, um, but for whatever reason, I wanted to go and do things the other way. I wanted to take a left instead of a right. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, I did, and uh, yeah, here we are today trying to keep others from doing it, man. That's what I want, because my heart does go off to people, man. It goes out to them, because I know exactly what you're going through. I know your pain. I can feel it, and don't think I can't, because anything, there's nothing you can tell me that's going to shock me or surprise me. I've probably done it. I've probably done it twice, or maybe three times. It's a learned behavior. She says it's a, Ms. Dixon says sometimes it's a learned behavior or both. Yeah, I I don't think you have to have the gene to necessarily become an alcoholic or an addict. Um, it just depends on your body getting physically addicted to it. Well, that's it, yeah. Mm-hmm. But then again, I mean, the meth thing too. But it, I guess the meth thing, like I dibbled and dabbled with that stuff. That stuff wasn't really for me. I've done it a lot, but I don't think I was ever really just like, if I didn't have it, I'm just really sitting around going, oh, man, I got to go get some. It would just come my way, you know what I mean? Or, so I know we were talking about money earlier. Do you think that people with money do it just to be part of the crowd? Probably, yeah. People without money? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. you know, so many of those celebrities, you know, at least drink and do whatever. Do you think it's just so they can fit in and be part of the crowd? A lot of times, yes, especially like the Hollywood crowd we're talking about now. Because who was it? Um, well, some oh, uh, Keith Whitley. He said that he drank because that's what everybody did. You know, George Jones, everybody, you know, that's what they done. And of course, that's what killed him or whatever. But it depends on your environment. Again, you know, if you're if you're in an environment where everyone's doing it and you're around it all the time, you're going to do it too because you want to fit in. You're going to feel like oh, you're left out or Oh, man, they were going to make fun of me, man, because I'm not drinking with them or whatever. One of my family friends who was doing it was telling the story about that. Okay, so that's a few of the people she hung around with. Yeah, I agree with you on that, Miss Dixie. Uh, it's, it's funny, that's what we were just here talking about. But, yeah, yeah, when you hang around, you know, everyone's doing it, and it's going to peer pressure or whatever you want to call it. But in my case, I was the peer pressure to people because I was the one doing it. 
I had friends, and that's all I wanted to do. I wanted to drink and stuff, and they didn't, and didn't understand why so their I parents didn't, didn't want me around. You know, now I do. <laughs> so I didn't catch why or how you started. I started. How did you get into it? How did you I, um, get hooked? Well, I started smoking pot because everyone, like I said, everyone that was around did it, and so I was going to do it. And then drinking things, same thing. I always hung around older kids and older people. And so um, that's where, like, the drinking and stuff started. Um, okay, let me say this. I was 11. I told you I got hit by this truck, right? Right. Okay, so right. I was in intensive care and stuff for a few days or whatever, and I come out of it. When I came out of it, they would give me pain shots in my legs, right? Of I don't know if it was morphine or, or what the drug was. It's some kind of opiate, though. My mother told me that I would be asleep, but I would wake up dead on at the three-hour mark where I could get that shot, and I would hit that button for him to come in here and give it to me. So already at 11, I was already um, getting hooked on it. When I come home from the hospital, yeah, through the hospital, yeah. Mm-hmm, when I came home, they gave me a prescription. I found all this out later on. They gave me a prescription of pain pills. My mom said I never would take them at that time. But I ended up having to go back to the hospital again and have another surgery. Like, my got a blockage in my intestine and stuff or whatever. And uh, it's the same thing then. It was giving me the pain shots in my leg. But I didn't really uh, do any pills or anything until I was 15 again. And that's when they gave them to me. And I took that pill. And, man, it was on from there. It's been a wild ride since then, that's for sure. And that, happens to, a, so much. that happens to a lot of people, man. You, I hear stories all the time. Someone who... It's not an addict or not an alcoholic, but they go, they break a rib or, or whatever it is, and they get pills, and they start taking them, and there you go. It's the physical addiction that drives most people. And it's alcohol, too, same as Xanax, it's Valiums, you know, all these things. Mm-hmm. No, that's just, I was just curious. Yeah. I was I was different, man. I don't know why. Like, I remember being. Well, I think I know why. I mean, you just said why you went to it. Yeah. You know, I remember being was... like. A medical seven or eight years old sitting in my mom's car and pushing the cigarette lighter in you know these cars used to have cigarette lighters in them i'd push it yeah. in and wait for it to pop out and i'd take it out and stick it and burn a hole in the seat i did it like 10 times why <laughs> i don't know i don't know why i did but i did people say i was i was seeking attention um but i'm not sure hey ship somebody said hey ship hey ship how you doing ship Oh, okay. I see you joining. Hey, Shep, what's going on, man? Um, so, yeah, I mean, things like that. I think it was probably attention-seeking because I probably wasn't getting enough attention or whatever. I was probably a little baby, a little brat, I'm sure. A crybaby, probably. Shit. <laughs> yeah. I remember those. In fact, when they had the, yeah, yep. got that big red round thing. <laughs> yeah. It turned bright red. I remember going out going, what are you doing? I never would get whippings and stuff. Cars have them in them anymore. Yeah, no, you don't even see them. They still have them so you can plug your uh, phone in or something, but they don't cover them in the cars. I don't think I haven't seen one in them in a long time. I know one thing they'll burn. They'll definitely burn them. When I quit smoking, I pretty much did it the same way. Quit cold turkey when I quit smoking, so I don't even look for that stuff no more. Yeah, you don't smoke, so you quit cold turkey smoking too. Yeah. Because I got sick with the flu, and it put me in the hospital for, I don't know, a week, week and a half. Yeah. And the hospital gave me those patches way back in the day. They were real popular, those, like, nicotine Mm -hmm. quit smoking patches. 
And of course, you know, I was young. As soon as I got out of the hospital, I went and bought a pack of cigarettes. And I'd never choked so hard and my throat hurt. And I just never went back, never did it again. I dip, man. I still dip. Um, I do that too. Yeah. That I cannot quit. uh Uh-uh. That's kind of my thing, man. I don't smoke cigarettes though, but I have. And uh, I've actually smoked cigarettes just pretty recently. Well, you know, when you're young and you're in high school, the girls don't want to kiss someone with a chewing tobacco, so we went to smoking. Mm-hmm. And then, yep. you know, in the bar life, you know, it's too hard to chew and drink and smoke, so. <laughs> yep. But then I caught that flu, and what's bad is I went right back to the chewing, and, you know, that's been 30 years ago now, and I, uh, I've tried quit chewing, but I'll be honest, I don't want to. Uh-uh, me neither. I haven't even tried. I haven't even tried to quit kind of my thing you know what i mean that's one thing that i'm probably always going to do um that's okay i'm not doing fit now always tells you the doctor tells me every time hey you need to quit yeah Yeah. i know (laughs) always but it ain't gonna happen that's what i was saying i'm starting to gain so much weight and stuff i'm gonna wait i'm gonna go to the doctor and you're gonna tell me i'm gonna cut back on eating i'm just gonna say no i can't do that buddy that's kind of my thing thing. i eat eat a lot of a lot of sugar me too. Way too much. A lot of snacks. Me too. Yeah, I do too. I don't eat a lot of good stuff. I don't eat hardly any vegetables, man. Um, I well, eat like... I eat a good dinner, and I eat good when I eat, but in between my eats, I eat a lot of a lot of snacks. And I don't eat. Um, I'll eat green beans probably, potatoes. That's about it. Um, corn maybe, but that really doesn't does nothing for you. But um, so, but I, I but I like like. I like cabbage if it's cooked right, and I like like turnip greens if they're cooked right. I just rarely eat it. Oh, I don't even eat them. Uh, I don't like those. Potatoes don't count. Yeah, I know. I just threw it in there. Thank you, Miss Dixie. She called me out on that, didn't she? Potatoes don't count. <laughs> Good. <laughs> they're starch. Oh, what's bad is I'm diabetic, so potatoes aren't real good for you mm-hmm. being a diabetic. But I uh, I still like my potatoes. I love McDonald's French fries. Man, I hate that you have that diabetes, man. That's that's, mm, that's bad. Yeah. I've been around it. I, I've, I've dated a couple of different women that had it. Um, one of them's not with us any longer. She had to have a pump. She wore an insulin pump. Um, yeah. I don't do that. I take one shot a week of, uh, I'm sure you heard it, called Trilicity. Trilicity. Uh-huh. That's all I do once a week. And I don't take no pills. I don't take no. So I'm on the very low end of it, but I'm still active. So I think that makes a big difference is when you're still still active. Mm-hmm. So that's um. I think there's a lot of people. My my grandmother. I think my grandfather. I may be wrong about that, but I think he was diabetic too. Um. Uh. And so I, I've been thinking about that a lot too because I gained a lot of weight really fast. Um. And I was worried about it. They checked my A1C and all that, so I was okay. So it's good. Uh, I'm pretty leveled out now on my weight, but I still eat horribly. Donuts, we were talking about that, man. Donuts, it's hard to pass a donut up. Oh, yeah, I don't. <laughs> I ain't passing up a donut. No, uh-uh. Oh, hell no. No. Or a bag of on, chips. I'm not passing that neither. <laughs> I mean, I'm the same way. I like my chips, too. But I've been on, like, certain kicks with things like cereal or cake 
or donuts. And so yeah. I'll go on about a yeah. three week run of it and I'll change. And now I've got a thing with Dude, these, that's uh, exactly the way I am. <laughs> these peanut butter cookies, man. They're actually a Walmart brand and they are freaking awesome. But the problem is I can't eat just want to eat the whole pack when I get on them. Oh, I know. I'm the same way. Yeah. Just like those little bags of donuts, those little mini donuts made by Hostess. Oh, that looks good. I'll eat two or three of those and I'll leave two or three just so I don't say, you know, I don't say I eat the whole bag, but shit, I'll eat that whole damn thing. Miss Dixie said that her husband tried that Trulicity once and it gave him severe cramps. Needless to say, he wouldn't try, oh, he wouldn't really? take it again. I'm sure that's probably uh, one of the certain side effects that comes with it. It could be. I I had to keep mine in the uh, refrigerator, and then when I every week I put it out on the table for about 15 minutes because I don't like taking it when it's cold because it stings. Right. So, but yeah, I mean maybe with his body it gave him cramps. That's too bad. I remember the smell of the insulin um, when when she had it. I can remember smelling of it, the smell of it. Uh, like yeah, I used to, when I first found out, because I didn't find out I even had diabetes until I was 45. And uh, when I first found out, they put me on that metformin. Yeah. And uh, it never helped. I, I could never get my numbers where the doctor was happy. And uh, But he switched me over to that Trulicity when it came out. I don't know, I don't know, seven, eight years ago. Hell, it may have been longer, but uh, I don't know. It, it helps me on my numbers, and, you know, like I stay within the reasonable numbers. But, uh, That's good. There's some other other people out there that have to take uh, insulin every day. Uh, like you said, they have the pumps or they have to shoot themselves, you know, the, a shot every day. Yeah, numerous times a day, too. Um, yeah. She didn't have the. Well, my brother does it two or three times a day. And then he takes uh, something like metformin. I, I think it's the same thing, just a different name. But uh, yeah, he has to take a couple pills every day. And, um, but you know, I love my brother, but he's he's lazy. He doesn't work. He don't. He won't work in the yard. He won't. You know, it's uh, what 6:30 in the afternoon here, and he's been up twice. And both times he let his dog out and. Got something to eat and went back to bed. Wow. So, That's one thing. I've always been a good worker, man, even in my bad times. Uh, but, all right, guys, it's uh, about four minutes before 730. I'm probably going to cut it off at 730 here. Um, I want to thank everybody. Thank you, Nick. I appreciate it. Thank you, man, for coming on here. I really appreciate it. And, Bella, you too. You're awesome you for helping me out. In the morning, right? Yeah, I'll be with you guys in the morning. Um, I'm going to decide on – I was going to do – a live show five days this week. I don't know if I'm going to do that right now. Um, I'll probably have another one either Wednesday, maybe tomorrow. If I do, I'll put um, it on social media and all that good stuff so everybody will know. But I'll definitely You're be with you and Bella in the morning. Okay. Uh, we'll see you guys then. Yeah, if just I don't... let me go on Discord. Uh, yeah. Discord? Yeah, you're under Bella's server, so just go in her server and that way I'll know. Okay. Will do, man. Everybody have a good night. I really appreciate everybody for showing up, man. I hope we did a good job. Um, thank you, Miss Dixie. Uh, catch me next time, and we'll get even deeper in my life. And hopefully people will come on and they want some help. We can talk to them. Night. Good night. All right, Nick. I'll see you next time, buddy. Thank you.